Welcome to Transformation Nation with your hosts, Jason Krantz and Jordan Morrow. Whether in your personal life, family, career, or more, each of us has the power to transform. Our episodes are designed to help empower everyone to transform into the person that they want to be. Jump into this episode to learn how you can become who you want to become. Hey everybody, how you doing? Jason Krantz here with my great friend, Jordan Morrow. Jordan, give us a recap of what you talked about last episode, because it was just unbelievable stuff. Give, give the listeners an overview. Well, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to shock people here. We talk data literacy. So if you haven't listened to the last two episodes, do it. Um, it they were the kind of primers, to your point, masterclasses is, is almost what exactly what we were going for. Trying to just really hit people home on... Let, let's get you here. Let's get you thinking about it. Let's get you working on it. Here's some steps that can be done. And the best part is now it's my time to interview you, buddy. It's time to get you out there more on your specialty. Something I love dearly is, is data and analytical strategy. And that's our coverage today is in this episode, we want to touch upon something that I would consider you a foremost expert on. Um, you know, I mean, look at your company strategy type, right? I mean, so, so tell me, okay. We're living in this world of data and analytics. We know it's not slowing down. It's only getting faster. So, so give me the why. Like if you could start off this primary masterclass on data and analytics strategy, Jason, give us the why. Why is data and analytics strategy so important for businesses? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. And I get this one a ton. And I boil it down to one sentence. Many companies have been successful without analytics. But what got you here won't get you there and what i mean by there is things have changed rapidly everything that's gone on recently and a lot of us have the initiatives for growth you know you want to grow revenue you want to grow ebitda whatever it is and as we talked about in the last episode there's just been a ton of change going on and as we think about this some companies won't make it those that will make it they're going to probably come out of this stronger better and with lessons learned and they're going to be making investments towards that, uh, towards these types of initiatives. And so the reason why I mention that is because in the very near future, being relevant in your industry, I believe, will require solid organizational data and analytic strategies and skills, right? The bar is like constantly being raised, and I see it all over the place. You know, management teams likely have been successful without this stuff. And so they look at it as like, do we really need this? You know, they look at it as kind of, you know, haha, it's funny. It's a joke. And what we say to them is that the, the game has changed guys. The game yeah. has changed, you know, and, and the good ones are realizing the savvy ones are saying, you know what, this is something that we need to pay attention to. Um, one of the other things, which is kind of tangential, not directly related to this, but you know, we live in a digital age and what it just absolutely blows my mind is the idea that data is not considered a balance sheet asset. My good buddy, Doug Laney talks about this in his book, uh, Infonomics. Him and I have had numerous discussions on this topic. It's the idea that you have, you know, goodwill, you have all these intangible assets, trademarks, patents, whatever it is, but yet data in a digital age does not have any value on a balance sheet, right? And as such, companies aren't really thinking about managing that asset like they would any other physical asset or or other intangible assets. And this is kind of a function of just accounting standards or, you know, well, 
100 years old. I'm not an accountant, but you know, they just haven't evolved to reflect the realities of these times. And so yep. with the rate of change that's going on and just newcomers coming in that are digitally savvy, um, you know, you, you really need to be evolving. And, and this is another important point. Um, tools and technology are not dead in the analytics strategy. That's the easy part. Um, you know, kind of as we talked about before, culture, using data analytics as part of strategic decision-making, that's the hard part. And so um, the reason why I bring that last point up and kind of to answer your question is because these are macro-level changes that need to happen, and they need to start with management teams. So if this isn't on a management team's radar, kind of making this evolution is an extremely difficult proposition. I don't know, what's your take on that? No, I, I think you're spot on. I think there's there's one thing that – you, you need a strategy. Like I, I've been using an analogy lately in a lot of my meetings and a lot of my conversations on building a house, right? It, it's a tool is not the strategy for building the house. It is something to support it. And data is a support for building the house of a business. It is not the business, right? It is, it is one of the most valuable tools. It's like a hammer and nail, right? Mm-hmm. When, you, when you're building a house, a hammer and nail are very powerful tools to be used but they are not the house when organizations are, are working towards their goals. And by the way, these goals have been expedited and changed and everything about the current, you know, financial situation, the COVID crisis and everything, you need the right tools in place. But if you don't have a roadmap or a guide, a blueprint, right? Let's say you, somebody, your buddy comes up to you and says, I want to build this house. And he points to one down the street from where you live. And doesn't give you a blueprint or anything. You look at it, you're like, I don't know what it looks like on the inside. Sure, let's get there. This tool might work. Yeah, it, it's just not going to work. <laughs> but unfortunately, that's what a lot of businesses have done for a very long time, without a doubt. And so the reality of it is you, you need the right tools in place. That data literacy is one of those. But even that is just a tool to the overarching thing that is a data and analytics strategy. So let me let me piggyback off one thing you said there and kind of do a follow-up on this. I'm interested to get your take of what you see in, in all the work that you're doing. And that is, what about the human element, right? The, these executives and leaders at companies have so much valuable experience. Are we eliminating that? Or what kind of combination needs to be done when it comes to a data and analytics strategy? Oh, man, I'd say uh, rather than eliminating it, we're, we're actually we're augmenting it. Uh, I have seen it time and time again, that just the, the immense power of combining kind of the data and analytics, the hard side of it, with the, the experience and leadership and perspective of those executives and business leaders, and even in the middle management ranks. It is, it blows my mind how many times I see something where it's the data says A, B, and C, and then once an expert gets their hands on that information, they're like, huh. And then what it does is it actually invokes a next level of questioning. You know, one of our favorite books, Start With Why, right? Yep. Um, you, there's, a, there's, there's another concept, well, not directly related or directly from that book, is, you know, kind of the five whys. Like, okay, well, why? Why why do you want to do A? Okay, well, this is why. Okay, why, why do you want to do B? And what I found is that it enables kind of that stair-stepping of why on, on asking good questions, right? At its core, Data analytics, in my mind, is, is a resource, a very powerful resource to ask great questions. But in order to ask great questions, you have to, you have, to have some context. You have to have a starting point. And that's where the human element is great. You know, it's one of the things you see in, like, 
um, you know, machine learning or whatever, whatever technical AI, it can only go off the data that you give it. And then if your data or, or sample set doesn't include some of these outliers, well, it doesn't have any additional context to kind of bump that up against to say, hmm, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I'm trying to think of a good example off the top of my head. Um, but the idea is, is that th- this data analytics is the best force multiplier and can also challenge assumptions, as you know, as we've talked about quite extensively. Yeah. People have these assumptions, biases, or whatever it is, and that <clears throat> a good management team will be able to say, you know what, we think A, B, or C. Let's see what the data says. Now, the fun part, and this is where some of my friends in the data science space will be like, well, the data says this, so you should do this. And be like, no, 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 I'll give it, you know, I'll just give you an example, like a, a real example. Uh, I was just talking about with a friend recently. Let's say that you make bikes, right? And you go out and you start selling bikes. But you know what? You have mountain bikes and road bikes. And that mountain bike line was crushing it. You were able to get things out. Your road bike line went down for a little bit, whatever reason. So you ship out what you have, right? And so you ship out to the West Coast and you ship out mountain bikes. Now, as you're doing sales analysis, you say, wow, you know what? Our mountain bike line is killing it. Our road bike line is dead. You know, and then, you know, just taking, this is an extreme example, but somebody without the context might not know that, hey, actually our line was down. So we weren't able to manufacture anything and ship it. So as a result, your, your data is actually skewed, heavily skewed. If somebody just looks at just the numbers, they're going to be like, well, hey, we shouldn't even have this bike line when it might be your most profitable. It might've been one of your best revenue generators, like maybe back in the day or something. Um, that context, you know, gets lost. And so I give that as an example, as you know, I'm a big fan of, of relatable examples for all of this. And it's just an example of how that context, if you don't have that context, you could be making really bad decisions. And that's why just having a data science team or an analytics team in a silo, in my mind, is kind of a bad idea. They should be working in tandem with the business because that, you know, in that situation, one plus one equals 10, you know? Yeah, it's it's so interesting. And I think I, I speak about this a lot. In fact, I was just earlier today had this conversation where I think far too often people, when we when we say data and technology, AI, all these powerful tools, they think, well, that means I there's no place for me. Are you kidding me? <laughs> we, we need you. We need you. So that's that's one of the things that when you think of data literacy, it's the human element. What we're trying to really do with strategy is okay, let's what is it we're trying to accomplish? What is it that we need from it? What does my experience tell us? In no way, you know, some executives have, have developed these lines of experience that are 30 years old, 40 years old in some cases. We don't want to eliminate that. But I, I will say this to anyone listening, there has to be an open mind that what they have been used to could be wrong, mm, right? That, that, mm. And we're not saying it's wrong. Yes. We're saying it. they have to be willing to have that uncomfortable question of are you sure that's right boss and if the data can prove that it's not even when we combine the human element we have to be willing this way this goes back to something we've talked about a lot which totally different episode for this one but the culture right Mm -hmm. is is a challenging assumptions a letting awareness in and if you let awareness in you're going to be successful so so let's let's piggyback off this right so if we're talking oh go ahead go ahead i just want to add in one really quick so to your point um, one thing that I use tip, tip for the audience is anytime I'm kind of kicking off an analytics initiative, one question that I ask 
the leaders that we're working with. And I know I do not want an answer. I just want them to think about it. I go, what would you rather be right or successful in terms of your hitting your goals? Because there are some people that just want to be right. Those that want to be and hit their goals, because it gets to the idea of challenging the notions and that if you challenge a notion and you end up being wrong, but it'll help you hit your goals. Like for me, I would, I would openly embrace that. I'll be wrong all day. My, my job and my focus is hitting goals, hitting to, I don't care if I'm right. I'd rather be wrong and help everybody hit that goal than right and not hit the goal because then that becomes about ego. Right. Um, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So anyway, sorry, I just wanted to add that in. It's a, no. it's a quick tip I found because it removes the pressure for an answer, but it gives people a walkway to think about. Yeah. And, and you're spot on like ego is the enemy, right? <laughs> I mean, the great book out there. I mean, that that's just reality is one of the things that data does is data either supports or it's a learning opportunity. And I think that's where people struggle is they, and, and I always use this phrase. I use it with my kids. I, I am not binary in the way that I think it's not either or right. You know, like mm-hmm. when you think of children, they're like um, you'll, you'll compliment one kid and then another kid gets defensive. Like, well, I do that too. It's like, yes, I'm not saying it's not for you too. This was in this moment for this, you know, that's like in business when a leader is like, well, this is my decision. It turns out wrong. We're not telling you it was wrong. Yeah. Use it like Nelson Mandela, my hero, you either win or you learn. I mean, that's, that's it, his quote, right? And so we, this is that awareness from, and this is what needs to be a part of the strategy. So let's, let's dovetail this into that next thought process. How should executives look at a data and analytical strategy? Like, how do they look at it? What, what things do you see? What do they, one, need to learn? And how can it help them drive the results? Because you're spot on. The, the, the end thing is, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be successful? I loved what you said there. If you yeah. want to be right, here, I'll show you the door. We're yeah. make you right every time. But if you want to be successful, let's combine all this. So how do they need to look at it? Yeah, so whenever I'm talking about this, I put it in one sentence. Think of analytics as a strategic force multiplier. They're always like, well, what do you mean? How does it do that, right? And the way I like to, you remember we told the story before, I think it was two episodes ago about fishing, the fishing story. What do you want to catch, right? When you use this bait, you go out to this yep. location, you drop the lure down, you're going to catch X within five minutes. And, and you know, the idea is, is that you've got a million projects you can be working on. Which ones are going to give you the greatest yield on your investment, right? I take a very financial focus on these things. So you'll hear me talk a lot of finance speak right now, right? Um, because that's all I care about. And frankly, that's all these people care about in most cases is, um, what, what are the projects you have on your agenda? Which ones are likely to yield the greatest, um, ROI? Uh, most importantly, I think is what are some of the initiatives you're not looking at that could actually yield huge return? And I'll give you an example on that one. Um, and then, you know, what are the resources that you're going to need to do this? And then perhaps most importantly, in the mind of a lot of executives is what's the risk, right? A lot of a lot of business managers are in a risk mitigation situation. Yeah, you can hit the home run, but they're more interested in hitting the single, right? Um, compensation plans, all these other factors, softer factors are related to that. And this is where like kind of understanding the politics and the culture of your workforce are very individualized, right? That's different from company to company. So these are very important factors that you have to look at. But um, one of them that I have typically found uh, a lot of success with in my career is the stuff that People didn't really, they knew, but they didn't, didn't know how to go about doing it. I'll give you an example. Real world situation. 
I had started at a uh, company. We were going through pretty rapid um, industry consolidation, M&A, uh, a lot of M&A work, private equity owned, right? Our primary objective was EBITDA growth. For those that don't know, EBITDA earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. Yeah. Um, and so our goal was to grow EBITDA. And now we had a uh, we had a pretty real constraint in terms of we had capacity constraints. So we were we were at a crossroads. We were looking at investing like twenty million dollars in capex to go buy new equipment to take on new business. Well, me being relatively young and naive, um, I just kind of did a rudimentary analysis to go and be like, "Hey, everybody says we're making money on all these customers. Let me see what customers were really making money on." So I did a uh, profit Pareto. And at one point, the profit got up to 140% of where we ended up. And then I'm looking, I'm like, wait, we're losing that much money on all of these customers, right? Like, so literally, if we just got, theoretically, if we had all those customers that we were losing money on to break even, theoretically, we would have increased our profit 40%. Now, mind you, our main goal, profit, EBITDA, there's pretty close correlation there. So then I start digging deeper and I look and I say, you know what? there's a couple customers here that we are just getting mauled on. It's like negative 50% margin. And uh, so there was like, there's no way that could have been. There's no way that could have been. So I brought it up to my boss. This is actually the post I made yesterday where I, I brought this up in a meeting when I was real young and I got blown up for, for not socializing it beforehand. Um, because basically what I was saying is, Hey, we've got an EBITDA growth target of $50 million or whatever it is. And, and we just found like $10 million right here. There's another 40 over there. Like literally, we don't need another ounce of revenue and we don't need to spend that 30 million in CapEx and we can hit our EBITDA growth goals. Now, the reason why I say that, the reason why I go through that whole uh, monologue is that this was a project. It wasn't on anybody's strategic radar. Nobody was looking at it. Nobody even considered it. But just by digging around the information we already had, we found massive opportunities that immediately got on the strategic roadmap. And then we organized then this is, this is the fun part, right? That's where we use data and analytics to find the opportunity, tell you where yep. to go fish. And then we coordinated with operations, sales. I technically worked for sales ops at the time. And all the executive team purchasing, and we got alignment and saying, guys, we, we got a major opportunity here. We need to get this right. And then because it was pricing related, us as a sales team, we were able to take ownership of it. And then we coordinated price increases and communication and all that other stuff. And we ended up, we ended up in three years through kind of discipline like that of raising operating profit from 7% to over 20% on, yep. on a well over $2 billion business. That is, that is monumental profit. Now, again, bringing it back full circle, our goal was profit. We found opportunities by kind of exploring, by knowing the strategic objective and kind of looking at places that, and at things that people weren't necessarily looking at we found these massive opportunities. And I share that example with virtually every business leader I talk to is because sure, while the details of that particular example um, were unique to that business, pricing as an example, most companies don't have very rigorous controls around their price management. They have a, an antiquated pricing strategy. So it's, a, it's very applicable for a lot of industries. And then what it does is it gets them thinking about, huh, I wonder if we have an opportunity like that. And that's then, that's, that's the power is getting people to think differently because then they start asking questions. And when they start asking questions, then they're able to start that progression towards saying, huh, let's see what data and analytics can tell us.
Anyway, I, I monologue for far too long. You're good, man. No, keep it going. I mean, think about it. I think just touching upon that, that really hits home, I hope, for our listeners. The, uh, the fishing analogy we use, right? It, it's the reality of data and analytics. Like management should be viewing it as a, a tool in the arsenal for success. It's like you and I are our fitness geeks, right? So you go to the gym, there's weight machines, there's free weights, there's treadmills, there's this. What is our overall goal? To use a machine? No, our overall goal is fitness. So I'm fishing today. Today, it's all about a cross-training day for my spin weight. So I'm going to go spin the bike and then I'm going to go lift afterward with my ultimate strategy is my ultra marathon Mm -hmm. we're talking about fishing i've got this pole i've got this bait i've got the right lake picked out i've got studied the area this is the outcome i want so let's attack it with the tools we have data and analytics management should be viewing it the same way what is it our our business is accomplishing this is something you and i talk about data and analytics should not be an isolated part of an organization it should be embedded in the organization that's yeah. that's what tools are yeah. and so i think if people will start to view it that way start to really see it for what it is and i think they are and mind you i think mm-hmm. we're seeing that progress i think one silver thing that came out of of covid19 is that embrace that needed to happen mm-hmm. is that understanding that we were not ready right companies you, you said it kind of earlier if, if you don't embrace this new future goodbye I mean, I hate to say it that yeah, way, yeah. but that's that's what's going to end up happening. And and we're going to see some of these businesses that we maybe have known for a very long time go go south, right? Yeah. And yes. I, I think, though, we're at this, this perfect apex, the tipping point, as Malcolm Gladwell would say, this tipping point of are we ready? Are we doing it right or are we not? And I think we – one, hopefully this podcast is helping people realize everybody is ready for this type of success. We're just trying to help you get along. So – Continuing on this this vein of data and analytical strategy, the right embrace from leadership. I'm going to talk about it from a different from a strategy perspective on the human side. What are some things that these executives should be hiring for to ensure strategy success? I mean, I understand that that's a little different, but I think you and I both share thoughts on this because we see, one, Internal workforces can be upskilled with data literacy. We get that. But what about this rising generation? How can they learn to empower these strategies as they're put forward? Yeah, this is this is one of the things I've written about quite a bit in terms of that. I'll probably anger some people with this thought, but the, the my experience, the data science community, uh, the analytics community in general, very broad brushstroke here, tends to be quite light on the strategic perspective. And a lot of that, there's no, there's no fault in that. But as we look at what is the future evolution of analytics and its integration with strategy mandate, my thoughts are we really need people that have more of a strategic lens because here's what it comes down to. If you don't have a strategic perspective, There's a lot of potential for miscommunication. There's frustration. And ultimately, a lot of companies are making a lot of very significant investments in these types of resources. And if they are not getting the ROI out of it, that creates a bad, you know, it creates a bad vibe for the whole, the whole Mm -hmm. uh, industry. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. As you know, I like to challenge the industry to say, guys, let's think about it differently. And so it's not that saying that data science isn't, isn't valuable. I know on the contrary, it's immensely valuable. But as we look at the, you know, this conversation is focused 
on the strategic integration side of it, I've talked about this a lot. I think for the future generation, we really need more people from that financial side of the equation, right? I'm a huge fan of FP&A and the, and the finance um, world coming over to, to kind of the, the dark side, if you will, right? And, and why do I say that? Um, in my experience, these guys are and gals are front and center in the strategy. They're interacting with CFOs, CEOs, boards, investor relations, all these entities, they're tied in at the hip already. They've already got the inroads. They've got the credibility. And a lot of times they've already got the numerical skills. So you have this really nice blend of strategic perspective, um, data literacy, numerical literacy, right? Just all, all the literacies that go with that. And a lot of times they're, they've already got a lot of those core skills that you need to be effective as like we talk about Excel, SQL, Alteryx is maybe a higher end tool. They're, they're already living it on a daily basis. So to, to kind of, you know, take that extension, it's, it's kind of like going from AAA ball to the pros, right? Um, it, it's, it's a move, but they're in a position. They're, they're positioned for success there. And so in my mind, it's really getting more people in the space um, that maybe haven't gravitated towards that technical side, as we talked about in the last episode. A lot of these tools and technologies are making what was traditionally very difficult technical work quite accessible and easy to get yeah. to. And so that's where kind of from the, the business side, recruiting people from that business side to help facilitate that, that integration of kind of data and analytics and strategy. And then the other side of that is really encouraging those in the more technical side to get that really valuable business experience. Anybody who has ever worked for me, can testify that I beat the heck out of this idea. I'm like, get the business experience. And here's why you can go and you can Google a code base. You can Google, you know, whatever you want. I learned a programming language in like two weeks because I just Google everything and you can get pretty robust stuff. You can't Google business experience. You can't Google going through a strategic planning cycle or an annual operating plan. You, 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 that is the function of, you need to experience it. And it takes years. So while you can get up that technical learning curve pretty quickly or with the help of others, in my mind, there is no shortcut to that business experience. And that is the reason why I think kind of the next generation of really analytics and strategy integration is going to come from the business side because they've already got that business perspective. They, they already know, they already have a general idea where to go fish to get the most impact. It's just that they're lighter on more, the more technical side. But as we said before, they can fill that gap. I mean, what are your thoughts? Oh, no, you're, you're hitting it on the head. It's this reality that you have to combine it all. Like you're going to have the technical people that don't have the business side. So we can teach that. You're going to have the business side that don't have the technical side. But don't isolate it, which is what's happened historically, which is not a good thing. Um it, it's it's the opposite, right? We we need to make sure that you're working together, that it is combined, that it's embedded, that is a part of it. That you have not only does your data and analytical strategy need to include the tools, the sourcing of data, the master data, the quality, all of that, but it needs to include the people. And if it doesn't include the people, then there's a big issue. So um, you, you've got to combine the strategy together. The other thing I would say is, you know, uh, I've been asked is you know requiring data literacy or something like that good for hiring practices. Uh, yeah, you're asking the wrong guy. Of course, I'm going to say yes. But if you think about it, yeah, it should be uh, uh, almost this mandatory part, right? This, this idea that 
we're just going to use the tools. It's going to happen. It's just not going to happen. We, we need the strategies. We need the analytics. Donald Farmer, uh, one of the, they called the Yoda of BI out there, right? He said, and I loved it, that if you're not using analytics to get insight or whatever, data is just a cost center. It's just expensive. Mm-hmm. But you still have companies out there and executives who are just throwing so much money at the sourcing of data. Are they really looking at the front end? And that front end does require those skills and everything. So coming up on time here, so I want, I want to throw, I'm going to lobby a softball man, a softball question here. Um, but I think it might be the most important question we've asked. What is needed to create a solid data and analytics strategy and how do you get started? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I'm going to say, I'm going to gloss over this, but please do not think I'm undermining its importance. First things first, you, you, you've, you've got to have good data. It, that is that is non-negotiable, and and I say that because without good data, you just you can't build game-changing, you know, PNL and strategy-driving analytics. It's just it's not possible. So that is the backbone of any legitimate data science or analytics initiative. Um, I could probably have an hour conversation about all that, but getting that out of the way, the first thing that you need to do to create a solid data and analytics strategy is is just understand. And this sounds ridiculous. I will fully admit up front, this sounds ridiculous. Define your strategy and, and really, truly understand what you want to be. And this, I, this sounds ridiculous, I know, but answer the questions. What are you trying to become? And do you have any ideas on how data and analytics can help you get there? You know, are you trying to increase profits? Are you looking to take market and wallet share? Are you looking to take costs out of plants? And sure, everybody wants to do a lot of these things. But my guess is there's probably a few projects that will likely make or break your ability to hit your goals. And so to focus on those initiatives. And just as real quick, one thing I I encourage anybody to do if they're wondering how data analysts can help them. I say, if there are any five questions you can answer about your business, what questions would you ask? And the idea there is to get them to think about, huh, because most people constrain themselves without even thinking about it, to asking questions for which they think they can have or can readily get data. They don't ask questions about, well, I wish I knew this, this, and this, because like, well, that data doesn't exist. You'd be amazed either within your four walls or through external sources, how much data is available. Just using our company, Strategy Titan as an example. Um, I'd say 80, 90% of the questions that people ask us in this regard, uh, either they have or we help them get. And so it's really powerful for kind of those creative juices, right? So that's the what. What are you trying to become? And then the how. What does the org structure need to look like, right? Is this a is this a new analytics capability, new team that you're going to, greenfield team that you're going to have to build out? If so, to your point you brought up earlier, which I strongly agree with, you got to put them in the business. Some people will disagree with me on that. I, I will argue till I'm in the grave that you've got to put an analytics team in the business in order for it to be effective. And there's a lot yeah. of reasons that we I could probably talk four, four hours on why that's important. But the number one reason is you need to be on the front lines to, to, and be front and center with the strategy in order to have a voice to help drive change. If you don't have that credibility, you don't stand a chance. So positioning the team right is really important. Uh, another port kind of uh, on the how side is what are the rules? How do you measure success? So that if you're signing up for these initiatives, how do you quantify the impact that you're having in the business? As an example, um, with my team's, I will openly refuse to dedicate my team to resources where we cannot quantify the impact. 
Um, one of my favorites to take on because it is so easy to quantify is pricing projects. Anything pricing or sales related, generally speaking, I'll be the first in line to sign up for because they are, you help revenue drivers, you're helping, you're helping everybody, right? Everybody's happy and revenue drivers are um, doing well. And then, you know, it's kind of gets into uh, deeper into the how, how do we manage the data life cycle and how do we govern data? Um, you know, kind of to the point of uh, managing data as an asset. How do we convert it from a raw material into a finished good? And then perhaps most importantly, what are you actually going to do differently with the insights that are generated? That's a really, really, really important question because everybody might want to know A, B, A, B, and C, but once you have the answers, okay, great. What are you going to do differently? A lot of people say they'll do something. A lot of management teams don't because it gets to the risk factor discussed before. And then the, the final part is once you determine all of that stuff, then you can move to the technology. Far too often, you know, companies start with the technology as we talked about before uh, without leading with those other questions. And so, you know, it's just, it's really hard to get the value out of those investments if you're investing that money up front without kind of a plan on how to utilize it so i don't know what are your thoughts hey man <laughs> i mean i that's the reality is is i could repeat what you said but if you think about it you're, you're touching on all the points we've touched upon my specialty data literacy which absolutely has to be a part of this um, the, the fact that people have used tools and strategies in the past, we know that just to be the wrong way of doing things. I think companies are starting to get there and I am hopeful the listeners are finding out through this podcast that that's what we're here to do for them is to help them, um, build these things correctly, to build these strategies correctly, um, to have us help them in the right way to build their strategies. And, and not only from the organizational perspective, which is what we talked about today, but and so, no, I, amen, brother. That's, so, that's what I got to say on let, that. Let me ask you then, if we were going to summarize all of this up, what would be your, your one or two sentence takeaway for, for anybody that's listening to this, you know, cause we covered a lot of ground. Um, but much like I started with a one or two sentence um, thought, how would you summarize it? it for me? Um, I, I don't know if I can do justice to a summary in one or two sentences, but what I would say is if you are looking to succeed with data and analytics, discover exactly what it is you're trying to accomplish. What is the outcome that you're trying to do? And then build a roadmap from there. Because then you'll be, it could be, I'm trying to, let's say you're in marketing. I'm trying to target better prospects. I'm trying to do that. What do I need for that? I think this data would help. Okay, that data could help. What tool would help you visualize and summarize that data? Well, I think this one would. Can that tool build predictions? It can't. So why don't we build some predictive modeling with this tool? What we that to me is is the the one start. What outcome are you trying to accomplish? Then a data and analytics mm -hmm. strategy will follow. Notice how we just build in a matter of ten seconds a roadmap. Nope. Imagine if you had started with a tool. I'm starting with this analytics tool. <laughs> oh, can I can I accomplish anything with that? Oh, no, I can't. Yes. Can I? Oh, shoot, man. And guess what gets blamed? The tool. The tool is probably fantastic, but yes. it's not a strategy. Start with that outcome. Man. That's well, how you do it. And, and, and I just want to say, it's like bringing it back to the financial angle. Then you can invest with confidence. You've got a yes. plan. And if I'm a, if I'm a, you know, I have a general manager mindset. I, I, I try to think like a general manager who just happens to be good and proficient in data and analytics. 
But everything to me is like, if I'm going to make an investment of the, in this, there's an opportunity cost or something I'm not investing in, or I have to go incrementally to make this investment. I want to know how it's going to deliver results. Not theory. I don't have time for theory. I don't have the money for theory. I don't have the risk tolerance for theory. I want a concrete plan. I think what you articulated helps to bring clarity as to exactly how that will manifest itself in greater revenue profit whatever it is and so a uh, great conversation man dude thanks for thanks for uh you know the, the great discussion here um you want to give listeners uh, an idea of what we're going to be talking about next time oh i i think this is one that i think everybody not just our listeners but share it with everybody you know one of the biggest conversations i'm having right now or one of the biggest topics I, we're seeing is what is the future state of data and analytics after this COVID 19 world um, when, when you think about COVID-19, it really shoved data and analytics into the forefront, not only from every single flatten the curve model that we saw out there from an individual perspective, trying to make sense of everything, but businesses had to adjust so quickly, work from home, what levers can be pulled, what can't we do, et cetera. And a lot of businesses found out they weren't ready for it. So we're going to talk about the kind of the trends that I'm seeing out there. I'm having conversations quite literally all over the world, um, from South Africa to Australia, um, to uh, Central and South America, maybe Europe, I mean, everywhere. And so we're going to talk about those trends. What are we seeing? What do can we expect from the future? I love it, man. Hey, great conversation as always. I'm really looking forward to that next, uh, that next talk. Listeners, thank you for uh, listening to us. And if you haven't already, subscribe. Would really appreciate that. And make it a great day. Thanks so much for joining us today on another episode of Transformation Nation. Please take the time to connect with both of us, reach out through our social channels, and start taking those first steps towards not only transforming yourself, but empowering everyone to become who they want to be. Until next time, this is Jason and Jordan. Go dominate, my friends.